we have put commercial shared services in support of growth and even targets very much at the forefront of our GBS approach. And I think our teams are starting to see the value of GBS is not just this sort of back office. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narathari, founder and CEO of Radius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host James Seta Strickland, a transformation leader with 30 plus years of experience in building and driving sustainable business models, highly skilled in strategy, execution, talent management. James Seta has been a crucial part of top organizations like Ford, GE, and Capstone Solutions. Currently, James Seda serves as the SVP and head of GBS at Iron Mountain. James Seda, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. James Seda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey? Sure. First, let me say it's a pleasure to be with you today and a little bit about my background. I have previous experience at both Ford Motor Company and a number of years at General Electric. I have a degree in electrical engineering, so I still like to tinker a little bit. I went to business school later and earned my MBA from the University of Michigan. Before coming to Iron Mountain, one of my last roles at GE was really around building global shared services, global field services, COEs around the globe. And so that's probably one of the the most, the richest, most tacit skills that transferred me into leading GBS today. After at GE for a number of years, I spent some time in independent consulting working with not-for-profits and small businesses. Being a certified master black belt, I'm steeped in lean and Six Sigma and really uh, love to do process improvement. And then now I started at Iron Mountain almost three years ago. I guess my three-year anniversary is coming up here next February. I started leading the secure destruction business, which is also known as Shred, leading that for North America. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, was I call it voluntold <laughs> or asked by our CEO and COO to stand up our global business services division at Iron Mountain. And so, all right. So, I'm really looking forward to getting an engineer's point of view and the lens for the $6 million questions today, James Seda. In your view, which model is better for deploying shared services today, captive center or outsourcing to third parties? I think it's a mix of both, right? When you think about standing up captive centers, which there's some work that you can do very well internally on your own behalf as a company. And then there's other work that honestly, there's experts that have better uh, focused, better tools, better expertise that it makes sense to do business process outsourcing. So many other of my GBS colleagues from the other Fortune 100 companies we're really doing a mix. And I see us actually continuing to do a mix of both. Now, I will say I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, I think COVID-19 caused all of us to rethink what we mean by captive centers, right? And the value proposition thereof. So I think our pattern and how much and where people do in our hubs, sometimes it might be these virtual uh, captive centers, I would say, but we're still going to have a mix in the end of, of both going forward. All right. We'll go to the second uh, million dollar question. It's again a classic debate. Harmonize and standardize first or lift and shift first. What is your recommendation? What have you done in the past? Just curious. 
So you're giving me all the hard questions, right? You know, I think that's going to depend on the processes that we're and, and really how good certain processes are working in the current environment before they're in GBS. So I guess I'll hedge a bit, but I would say what my experience has taught me over the last year and a half would be we can get a lot of speed from lift and shift, right? Because you can bring it into a GBS environment, work the heck out of uh, leaning out the processes, trying to drive technology and standardization as fast as possible, right? However, sometimes we might want to take a little bit of a different approach where you need to fix things first and be careful that um, you're very clear on how GBS can add value. One of the key learnings that I've had over the last year and a half really is making sure we have the, the clear baseline, the as-is. What's the as-is process? What's the as-is process capability? What are the as-is metrics? How are we performing to that? And so we have a clear baseline. And then we've pushed at actually even inside of, of our mountain to have really good agreements, really service level agreements with our internal customers if we're doing work on their behalf let's say on behalf of finance, on behalf of HR, on behalf of our commercial teams, we've pushed to say, not only let's establish a baseline, but let's agree on what improvements you want to see. What are the metrics? How are you going to measure us? What does success look like? And then we've measured ourselves to that and have an operating rhythm and framework in place such that we have the reviews on a regular basis. So we always know where we stand. So I think both can be done, depends on the speed at which we need to drive change. And it depends on probably the maturity level of both the processes and the GBS organization. Probably every GBS leader that I've talked to, though, and I've talked to many of my peers around various companies, most are almost tending to prefer uh, the lift and shift. Makes sense. All right. The next million dollar question is mostly around RPA. I know we have there is RPA, then there is other platforms and AI. I want to first get your viewpoints on what's your take on RPA lately, and then maybe beyond RPA, how are you seeing the world of technology evolve? Yeah. So when I think about RPA, I think of it as both kind of what's happening now and then where the future is headed. So, I mean, RPA, there's a, a little debate going on in the industry of how necessary it is. Is it passe, you know, et cetera? I think it's going to be the minimum standard, right? Sort of the minimum way of, to have AI. So I think RPA is probably table stakes, right? You know, trying to lean out and automate as many processes as possible or trying to automate as many functions or routines that are repeatable as possible. That to me, you know, eventually to, to a lot of people, that's kind of yesterday or that's table stakes. So I think we'll still be doing RPA. The more important question is the, the pace and rate at which the broader AI, artificial intelligence and ML machine learning has really taken hold and will continue to accelerate. So I was reading a, sort of a fascinating article. I think it was from Forbes magazine recently or CIO World, one of the magazines. And it was talking about these trends in AI and ML. So if I can broaden the discussion beyond RPA, which I think is table stakes to the broader uh, view of ML and AI, several trends are really kind of here and, and among, the, among us and have gotten accelerated arguably under COVID. So one is really when you think about artificial intelligence being kind of the way we work, this sort of an ML being this whole concept of federated ML, if you will. So this is where, you know, you have devices that can store a lot more information than we can obviously gather. And so it's kind of this cloud in a pocket, if you're familiar with the term of federated ML, mm -hmm. which really 
a lot of industries are using to drive the customer experience, right? So one clear example would be for people who have iPhones or other smartphones. An awful lot of data, the, the tool Siri on iPhones, is using an awful lot of data that's being sent to the Apple server, but they're also using a lot of, uh, it's using a lot of data that's stored on your device. So that allows more flexibility, more makes AI and ML easier. So that's one trend. Another trend really has to do with when you think about what has happened in the with COVID-19 in the in pharma, in big pharma and in healthcare, right? That has really driven the accelerated the pace of AI and ML. And the third one really is around the more personalization, right, of e-commerce as companies learn more and more and more about how their customers, particularly consumers, interact with their products, you're starting to see more interface using AI and machine learning. So all these sorts of things is beyond to me just RPA, sort of RPA being the minimum standard. And then when you think about in the corporate environment, these other accelerations of, of AI and ML are huge in every industry. And I think same, obviously, for GBS. The especially for OEMs, our ability to use our data to have it drive insights and actions using AI and ML is going to be key to us unlocking continual value to our customers. A little bit of a long-winded answer, but I'm pretty passionate about it. So I think you know RPA clearly here to stay, kind of, but it's minimum table stakes, and really how do we monetize and use our data more efficiently and effectively to service customers through more advanced techniques of AI and ML. Makes a lot of sense. That probably brings us to the next logical question, which is historically the the GBS organizations historically were considered like a cost-cutting, labor cost arbitrage or something like that. So how do you transition them to revenue drivers and how do you become more strategic to your business stakeholders? You know, you're right that historically people think of global business services or GBS organizations as kind of the back office and, and and sort of you know, being very tertiary to value and, and, and being very removed from end customers. At our mountain, we've taken a, a different approach. Not only are we doing some of those more traditional GBS services, like doing finance routines and doing the employee routines around the hire to retire, doing the record to record, record to analyze, and the agreement to cash type of functions, but we actually are taking what I think is a, is a pretty neat approach where we're actually standing up a commercial shared services organization where our team is actually responsible for working with our commercial teams to do proposals to run the customer reference program. So, and we're doing statements of work and and all sorts of things that are really helping to drive deals and bring them in. We're also taking a, a bit of an innovative approach with the way we're approaching our procurement operations, right? So our, in, in our mountain, procurement's also a part of GBS because it's kind of the backbone of everything that we're doing. But we're not only working with our supply chain on traditional things like, you know, trying to save cost and getting better favored terms and drive efficiencies, but we're also trying to turn that and say, how do we work with our supply base to develop partnerships for, to drive revenue growth? Doing a lot of more co-marketing with some of our key uh, partners in the supply chain to market together to customers, to co-bid and that sort of thing. We also have internally in our procurement team, this whole notion of, procurement generated leads, right? So where our procurement team is bringing in leads to our sales team and our deal teams of who to go hunt for, for customers. And so we have put commercial shared services in support of growth and even targets very much at the forefront of our GBS approach. 
And I think our teams are starting to see the value of GBS is not just this sort of back office. GBS is sort of middle office between the operations teams and the commercial teams. And in our case, GBS is even front office, really helping to drive deals in both on the lead generation, on the contract negotiation, and then also just on the overall a proposal and bid process. So we're pretty active on the growth front. And I think it's uh, refreshing. It makes it fun. And it keeps us focused on customers front to back. And it's paying yeah. off where our, our mountain team see value of our GBS team for growth. That's amazing. I'm super impressed with the procurement-led leads. It's a very creative out-of-the-box thinking because it's easy to be in your narrow box of I'm supposed to do the following. But you're like those vendors that you're dealing with, Maybe you can sell them Iron Mountain services. So that's like you get yeah, a lot many of... Many of them are customers, right? And so our exactly. team has done a great job of just being in the hunt. Awesome. Actually, it's the classic debate of core ERP versus modern SaaS platforms. There is always this confusion. I have SAP, I have Oracle. We've invested all this. And now you have all these modern niche platforms like Hyredius, Coupa, Blacklane, and others. We are all like ch- chipping up the bits of bits and pieces. So how do you think about the trade-off between the two? There's definitely a trade-off. I don't mind sharing that we're actually in the middle of of implementing a a new uh, cloud-based ERP system at Iron Mountain right now over the next uh, couple of years. And um, we are in the middle of that trade-off. We have disparate systems around the globe. Iron Mountain was created in large part by acquisition. So anybody who has grown by acquisition have disparate systems that we need to kind of bring into the fold. So you always thinking about what is the optimum roadmap and timeframe upon which to standardize those systems, commonize and go to one. And so there is this proliferation of big, big ERP, big type of technology systems, as well as kind of where do you look at local kind of SaaS type of things that, that create uh, abilities to scale quickly and create ability to you know drive speed. So for us, our decision process is a mix of things, right? It's a mix of both cost, it's a mix of speed, and it's a mix of trying to get to both our customer experience and user experience in every corner of the world. We exist in 60 plus more countries around the globe. And so while on the one hand, we want standards, we want standard technology and everybody in one big system, sometimes the timing of that doesn't make sense. So niche products uh, make a lot of sense. So our decision process is what I described. We will continue to kind of iterate that in conjunction with our business needs along with our technology partners. And one of the things I think is really neat about us having a global business services organization in Iron Mountain is it has created a partner, kind of one-stop shop, if you will, for our global technology team to work with to help make those decisions. So our GBS team on behalf of the enterprise, I have the pleasure of partnering with a fantastic CIO at Iron Mountain, Kim Anstead, and she and I clearly are partners to help drive those decisions for the enterprise. So this is a place where, again, we're going to have the mix, where we're going to have big systems that will absolutely be the standard, but certainly couple that with some local niche products, SaaS solutions, and others that just make sense for us as we try to execute our processes, particularly those that are customer facing, right? We're we're a little bit more purposeful about it because we want to uh, you know, be able to act with speed and agility as we're interacting with customers. So, Awesome. All right. So the last one is a more of a closing question for you. What would you want to leave your listeners with your parting advice? I mean, I know you have had an amazing career. You're an engineer and not a lot of engineers get into GBS. So maybe you can take that angle or in general, right? The evolution of 
GBIS organization. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. You know, I would say that to your point about engineers in particular, when you think about what GBS is about, it's about making things better. If you're a person that likes to tinker and you're a person that likes process improvement, if you're a person that likes to make things better, a career in GBS could be a fantastic one for you. The other thing that I would like to emphasize is the way in, in interacting with many of my fellow peers that are GBS leaders across across the globe, most GBS organizations are multifunctioned, right, and multifaceted. So it's a great place to learn the business and contribute across many different functions. And the last thing that I would do is I think I would be remiss if I didn't say I also am very proud of the diversity that we have at Iron Mountain across Iron Mountain, but in particular in our GBS team. And to me, that has allowed us to collaborate and solve problems really, really fast. And so I'm particularly proud of the people of color and the women that we have on our teams, not only my direct leadership team, but across the whole of GBS, ultimately growth, right, is what we're doing it for across the company. So I would really recommend that folks take a long, hard look at their version of GBS. And certainly, of course, if you want to join our mountain, we should talk about that too, because uh, we're yeah. always in search of great talent. But love, I, for me, it's been very rewarding uh, way GBS has given me the opportunity to leverage all of my skills and background and bring all that to bear to su- drive success of the company. I'm a big believer in that too. So thanks for, Jamsula, this has been a very insightful conversation. I know how busy you are and thank you so much for investing the time with us and being on the GBS Masterminds podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. It was my pleasure to be with you today. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.